Let me just sort of do a quick summary of the last few chapters. It's been a while since we've been here. The last couple chapters, um, Israel has asked God to provide them a king. Uh, God gave them one. His name is Saul. And at first it looks like things are good, but then pretty quickly it's clear it's not so good. Saul is not someone who's going to listen to God. God does not rock with that. And so God says, all right, there's going to be a new king. There's going to be a new person. And that person is going to be David. We learned about David in the previous chapter, but it's in this chapter that you might say this is David's coming out party. This is where David really comes up uh, in, the public, uh, in the public scene, in the public attention, in this uh, particular story that we'll be looking at. So chapter 17 begins with the Israelites. They're again at war with their usual enemies, the Philistines, and it's a stalemate. They come out, face each other, and before they come out on the battlefield, one Philistine comes out into the battlefield and challenges all of them, challenges them to one-on-one combat. And someone we all know, again, this is one of the more familiar stories in the Bible, it's this guy, Goliath. Starting in verse 4 of chapter 17, listen to this description the Bible gives of Goliath. They came out from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze in his head, armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, bronze armor in his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield bearer went before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So Goliath is a big guy. Uh, based on the measurements they give, somewhere between, let's say, seven to eight feet tall. So he's huge. He's got all this armor on him, weighs 125 pounds, and he's, he's, he's got a lot of weapons, right? He's got a javelin in his back, spear, sword in either hand. He's even got a guy carrying a shield in front of him as, like, extra defense. This is a guy who's used to fighting, and used to winning because he always wins, right? And this description, this is one of the most elaborate descriptions we get in the Bible of, of a warrior. And the Bible's trying to make a point. This guy is like a one-man fortress. He's, a, uh, he's someone who, who's used to killing. He kills a lot. He does not die because he's, super, he's got, look at all the stuff he's got, right? He's powerful. He's seasoned warrior. He's like the ultimate Philistine warrior. And he's got the best technology. The descriptions, and it really makes a point of all these bronze ornaments that he has, you might remember a couple chapters earlier, it mentions how Israel doesn't have any blacksmiths. So they've got basically no good weapons. Only the royal family has some decent weapons. So this guy's got the best technology, the best weapons. He's got the experience. He's got the military power. I mean, just look at him. He's imposing. He's got all that. That's what Israel sees in front of them when Goliath comes out and challenges them and says, hey, fight me. Whoever wins, the other side serves the other side. Let's just sort of do it that way. Let's do one-on-one combat. And yeah, no one wants any of this, Right? Verse 11 of chapter 17 says this. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, what stands out here is our boy Saul, right? He, he, he's their king, right? He's their king. And yet, he's basically leading the way and being afraid and backing away. Remember, Saul's the tallest guy in Israel, right? That's why they picked him, right? He's the tallest guy, uh, He's the one who has some armor, who has some weapons. 
Israel picked him because back in chapter 8 it said, we need a king who's going to go out before us and fight our battles. Israel wanted someone who's basically going to save them. Who's going to guarantee that no matter what they face, they'll be saved and they'll be okay. And God had told them, look, I can do that. But they said, no, we need a king. And so Israel picks Saul. But here's their king. He's ducking the battle. Because, yeah, Saul is tall and he's strong. But guess what? Eventually you will face someone who's taller and stronger. (laughs) That's the way it always is. Eventually you'll face someone who can't guarantee. You'll face someone who makes it sure and confident that, like, you can't guarantee you're going to be okay. You can't be sure that you'll be saved. And as we get into the story, that, that's really what we'll be talking about this morning. That's what the story is about. This big underlying question that all of us have to ask ourselves, and it's this. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? When you think of this question of salvation, this is just a way of kind of reframing this, this big question that Christians ask a lot. You might, if you've been in Christian circles, we're always asking this question. Are you saved? Are you saved? Another way of thinking that question, maybe in, in our day, is, is basically it's saying, how do you know you're going to be okay? Are you going to be okay? None of us can avoid that question. Every single time any of us step into the world, step into your day, you step into your week, you are facing this question. Now, here in America, it's easy to sort of avoid the implications of that question because we got a lot, we're doing well in a lot of different areas. It's easy to sort of avoid this issue of, okay, am I going to be okay? Because most of the time, when it comes to some of the most basic things that most of the world struggles with, food, shelter, those kind of things, we're cool, we're good. But the reality is, that question is still out there. We all must face that question, will I be okay? Another way of saying it, in the Bible's way, is how do you know you're going to be saved? We're going to face it out there in this coming day, in this coming week, coming month. There's things out there that you will face that will bring to question, will you be okay? There's things in here, in you, churning within you that bring the question, are you going to be okay? Can you be sure you're going to be okay? Who's going to come and save you and make sure you're okay? And ultimately, we all have to face this question, when I die, will I be okay? That's the big question. Whether you believe there's something after death or not, I mean, you're still basically facing that question. Is it going to be okay? (laughs) How do I know I'll be saved? That's what Israel's facing. Right in front of them. Will we be okay? And they have a king who can't do it for them. He can't save them and make it sure for them that they're going to be okay. They see it right in front of them. And so, and Goliath is basically reminding them of that. You guys, you guys are in some, some real trouble here. <laughs> you got no one who's going to step up and face me. For 40 days, he comes out, challenges them, mocks them. For 40 days, they got to face this reality. There's no one to save us. We don't know if we're going to be okay. Now we have David come into the scene. And David comes because his brothers are at the battlefield already. They're a part of the army. David has stayed home to take care of the family business. His dad sends him over to bring some food to his brothers and to the commander. And it so happens that David gets there right when Goliath comes out for his daily challenge. Starting in verse 20 of 1 Samuel. And he, David, came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, so the food he brought, 
he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of, of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. What happens? Israel runs away like usual. Uh, King Saul, because, you know, he doesn't want any part of this, so he says, maybe I can bribe someone to do this. He decides, hey, uh, if anyone goes, is willing to do this, I'm going to give you money. You can marry into the royal family. You don't have to pay any taxes, right? But no one's going to take him up on this. No one wants to fight Goliath. But David's there. He hears all this. And, and look, at, look at David's answer. This is verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice the difference between how the Israelites talk about Goliath, the situation, and how David does. The Israelites, verse 25 says, he's come up to defy Israel. Here's David. Who the heck is this guy? who's defying God's army. See the difference? It's a different perspective. David looks at this situation, he sees Goliath and says, Goliath is not just challenging Israel, he's challenging God. He's challenging our God, who we belong to. He's basically saying God can't save us. He is saying that God can't make sure that we're gonna be okay. And David's like, no, no, no. <laughs> that, that, that can't stand. He's offended that, that anyone, much less this guy, would even suggest that this, this, the God can't step up here. That, that this guy would even test Israel in this way. That he would test God, really, in this way. Because David knows Israel is God's people. And this was widely known. One of the things that sometimes it can be missed as we read the Bible is like Israel, what it was happening with Israel was not in this sort of small little pocket and no one around the nations knew about it. Like we get little instances throughout the, the Old Testament where people are like, oh yeah, we heard about what happened in, 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 Pharaoh, in, uh, in Egypt and what their God did. We know about how Israel came up and, and conquered this whole land of people who basically said there's no way they can come and take this land. And they came and conquered this land. Sometimes they didn't even have, need to fight. And God shows up and conquers this land. They knew all this kind of stuff. And so for David, it's like, look, you, better, you gotta put some respect on God's name, right? Put some respect on God's name. You know what's happened. You know what he's done. And you're coming out and speaking this way and acting this way. There's no way. You come against Israel. You come against God. And what David knows is God will always save his people. Why are his people going to be okay? Because God saves. God saves. That's how you answer that question. How am I going to be okay? We have a God who saves. And God's always going to save his people. So back to our story. David hears this. He says this. His brother Elab comes, hears him talking this way to, soldiers, to the soldiers, and he, he gets mad. He accuses them of, of leaving the sheep and just coming out and, and seeing the battle like he sort of like just wants to see people fighting. And you see the irony here. So this guy, his brother, is accusing him of, of, of not doing his job, leaving the sheep behind. Meanwhile, he's a soldier. Goliath is taunting the army, and he's sort of in the back lines, Right? not going and doing his job to fight. And it's not a surprise here. Elab, like everyone else, he's unsure, he's scared, and this is a common coping mechanism. When you're unsure, when you're scared, you take it out on other people. 
Or maybe you take it on yourself. You, you engage in some really self-destructive habits. When you're unsure, you're unscared, you do everything possible to avoid what's going on inside of you. So that's what he's doing. He's taking on his brother. Where he gets back to King Saul about what David has been saying. So Saul sends for David. Finally, someone is interested in fighting. And Saul's like, I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> when we hear about this guy. Now, David has been a court musician, so Saul is somewhat familiar with David. But now he's going to learn more about what David is thinking here. 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For your buddy youth, he would have been around maybe 19 is what a lot of people think. He's been a man of war from his youth. David says, I'm going to fight Goliath. Saul's like, I, I don't, I'm not seeing this. And David hears what Saul says and he's like, look, I can do this. I can do this. Here's what David says. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. There came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. Guess what? I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, if you just read this quickly, you might come away thinking that what David's basically trying to say is, look, I'm a good fighter, right? <laughs> I've faced threats before, I know what I'm doing, but that, that's, that's not the takeaway here. Of course, yeah, David is, the, he has experience, right? He's not just some nobody, right? He's, he's faced danger, he knows what that's about. But the bigger point here is that what David has experience in is not in, in military combat or how to face danger. What David's trying to say is, I have experience stepping out in faith and God coming through for me. I have experience stepping out and doing what needs to be done, trusting that God's gonna save me, and God has saved me. That's what I know about. And I know that's going to happen here. That's his main point here. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, that same Lord, that's who's going to come and deliver me from this Philistine. I faced major danger before, and I brought all that I had to, to bear to, to face that danger, and I was okay because clearly God saved me, and David believes the same thing's going to happen with Goliath. How does he know that? How does he believe that? Because David knows the promises of God. David knows that God has said, hey, I look out for my people, and David's part of God's people. David knows God has said, hey, if you trust me and believe in me and follow me, I will take care of you. You will be okay. As long as you trust me and follow me, anyone who comes against you, anyone who comes against you in this land I've put you, I will save you. I will protect you. I will be with you. You will be okay. That's what David knows. David knows God says, look, if you're with me, that means anyone who comes against you comes against me. And, and, and guess what? <laughs> no chance. <laughs> you will be okay. I will save you because you are my people. And that's what David believes. That's the promise he's trusting in. That's how he's able to say what he's saying here. So uh, David gets fitted for battle by Saul, but it doesn't go well. This is verse 38. Saul clothes David with his armor, puts a helmet on his head, 
puts a coat of mail on him, and David strapped his sword over the army, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I, I can't go with these. I have not tested them. So David put them off. I mean, it should have been obvious. Saul is taller than everyone else. This is not going to fit David, right? So this, this doesn't quite work for David. But the thing is here, David did try. It's not like he's against armor or the sword. The point is David realizes this is not working. And so he says, I need to keep things simple. Because the main thing for David isn't the armor that he's got or the weapons that he's got. The main thing is to go out and face this enemy of God. Because that's what Goliath has made us about. That's what the Philistines have made us about. They're defying God. They're saying, we don't believe your God will protect you. We want to show that you can, ever, you can never think you'll be okay if we're here. David realizes the most important thing is to be faithful and step out and trust God's promise that he will save his people and they'll be okay. And so he keeps it simple. Verse 40, he takes the staff in his hand, chooses five smooth stones from the brook, and puts them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So David's going to show up with just the stuff that he's used to, right? He's got his staff. He's got his slingshot. And Goliath looks at this and is like, what is this? He sees this 19-year-old guy, no armor, nothing else. This seems like a joke. It's an insult to a guy like Goliath. Let's pick up in verse 43. I don't think I have it on the screens. And the Philistine said, I'll just read it. Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Yeah, that took a, a dark turn there. Uh, <laughs> Goliath goes from, like, I'm insulted by this to, like, I'm going to feed your flesh to the vultures. So that's, that's a quick right turn. <laughs> David's not phased. David says this. David said to the Philistine, you come to me. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David using that term, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. What's David doing there? He's talking about the times when Israel has come out in its armies and, and, and saying, God has been at the head of our armies. He's our commander. He's our general. And he's, he's evoking this sense, this history, that every single time God has showed up for his people when they're out in the battle, God's got an undefeated record. The Egyptians, the Canaanites, just a couple of chapters earlier, the Amalekites, God always comes through and saves his people. They will always be okay if they trust their God. He says this then, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. Basically, what Goliath said is going to happen to David is going to happen instead to Goliath. That happens sometimes. These people are defying God, and God's like, all right, well, <laughs> I'm going to flip it around. <laughs> That's what's going to happen here. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. 
God is going to save David and Israel, and he's going to do it without military weapons, without strategy, all the things the nations relied on back then. He's going to do it based on the fact that he's God, and God saves. The battle is the Lord's, is what it says in verse 47. When we're with God, our battles become his battles. Our trials and struggles become his trials and struggles. And that means whatever battle we face, whatever struggle we face, whatever trial we face, God is there with us. And whenever we begin to think, will I be okay? God is there saying, look who you have with you. You're all going to be okay because I save. I will always save. Goliath says he's got enough. He rushes at David to kill him. And we know the story. We know what happens next. When the Philistine arose, this is verse 48, and drew near to meet David, David runs quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. And I love this detail. There was no sword in the hand of David. Just to make clear, <laughs> he did with just what he showed up with. Now, again, David clearly had some skill. He was brave. But this result is ultimately not about how skillful he is or how brave he is. This result is about his faith. His faith in God and God's ability to save his people. That's what he was stepping into. Verse 51. Then David ran and stood over to Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, yeah, they ran. I guess they decided not to serve Israel. They said, let's get out of here. <laughs> the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell in the wave from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. A great victory for Israel. They're going to be okay. They're going to be okay because God saves. God saves. He always saves. And so... To sort of finish here, and we sort of suggest five things for us to think about when we say God saves. Five things that we can see from this story. That when we say God saves, five things I want you to think about every time you hear that phrase, God saves. Number one, when we say God saves, that means God saves even when we are scared, unsure, and doubtful. God saves even when we're scared, unsure, and doubtful. Israel was afraid. They thought they can be saved. But guess what? Their salvation did not depend on them. It wasn't based on them eliminating all their fears, eliminating all their doubts, eliminate all their concerns. God promised to send his salvation because God said he would do it. And God always keeps his promises. This means you can be okay even if you're not sure you're going to be okay. You can be okay even if you have fear and doubts. God creates space for us to have fears and doubts and uncertainty. But in that space, he's saying, look, have those things, but know it's not based on how much fear or doubt you have. It's based on me, and I'm here in this space with you. God saves. It's not about us figuring what's going to happen. It's about God figuring it out. So we don't have to worry about if we can't figure out what will happen, how we'll deal with these things. All we have to know is that we have a God who saves, and that's how we'll know we'll be okay. Number two, God saves, and that means he saves to the uttermost. Nothing can kill us if God is with us. Yes, we'll face trials. Yes, we'll face suffering. And the sad thing is some of us will face more than others. That's a hard reality of our life. Some of us face more trials and more suffering than others. But no matter you face a lot or a little, 
or somewhere in between, none of those things can kill you. That's to say, none of those things can wipe you out totally, eliminate you, and destroy your soul, your heart. None of those things. The promise of God is that he will save us from everything and anything we have to face. From any threat that's from out there. But guess what? Even from the threats that are in here, there's things that are happening within us that make us think, I'm not going to be okay. And we wonder if we'll be safe from them. There's things within us. It could be unresolved anger. It could be out of control lust. It could be jealousy and pride and envy and selfishness. It could be rampant depression and anxiety. All these things are churning up within us and make us think, how do I know I'll be okay? Will I be okay? And what God is saying is I save to the uttermost. Every last part of your life, every dark corner of your soul, I shine my light into those places. I am in those places. I save and I make sure you're okay in every last part of your life. Whatever threat you face from the outside, whatever threat or sin you have in the inside, the promise of the Bible is that we have a God who can save us from all those things. God saves, and he saves the uttermost. Number three, God saves so we don't have to save. We don't have to do anything. The story of David isn't about how great a shot David is. I'm sure he was a great shot. <laughs> he turns out to be a great warrior. But this story isn't trying to elevate about how great a warrior David is. It's about how great God is. I like this quote. The Lord wanted his people to rely not on having the best of weaponry, but having the best of saviors. The best of saviors. That means you're not so foregone that God can't make sure you're okay. That means you don't need to line up a huge resume of good deeds to show, hey, God, look, look what I've done to save myself. I just need you for the last 10%. <laughs> That's not how God works. You don't show up saying, I, here's what I'm doing to help this salvation come about. Here's what I'm doing to make sure I'm okay. God saves so you can stop trying to save yourself or trying to find something to save yourself. God saves so you don't need to. God says you'll be okay because I'm the one who saves. Number four, God saves because God has already done everything we need to be saved. God saves based on the fact he's already accomplished salvation for us. We as Christians stand here saying God saves because Jesus came and saved us. In the same way that David steps out into that battlefield, well, we have a Lord God who came to us in Jesus who already stepped into the battlefield and has already come back and said, I already took care of it. Jesus stepped into the battlefield and faced the judgment of our sin, faced death, and came back with the victory, with the head of Satan, with sin destroyed and eliminated. Jesus came back and said, guess what? I've got salvation. You want to come with me? We can be okay based on the fact that salvation is already available to us. And so how are we going to be okay? It's by knowing that God's already saved and he's saved in Jesus and so the question for us then is, do we personally know Jesus? <laughs> I always like to tell people, the struggles you face and the problems you have or the sins you're dealing with, like we all have them. My question always is, how close are you to Jesus? How quickly do you go to Jesus? His salvation is always there and available to us. We get it by faith and we hold on to it by faith. We will be okay as long as we believe in Jesus and stay by Jesus. Jesus has already come who already reigns, who already lives, will be okay based on the fact he's already there with us. All we have to do is grab a hold of him. And guess what? He doesn't let go of us. Last thing I want to say here, God saves 
So go live in this world with joy and freedom and hope. So David still had to step out and face Goliath, didn't he? There was still something that had to be done. He could say, I believe God is going to save us. If he stayed in the back lines that whole time, then what's that mean? At the end of the day, he actually had to step out into that battlefield and trust that God will be with him. And he, had, and he did it with confidence and with hope. I bet there was fear there too, but there was confidence and hope in what God was going to do. We have to step out into every single day, to every single week, and every single month, into the rest of our lives. It's a day, a month, a week, a life we can't control. We already know the threats we face. We don't know the threats that are to come from the outside, from the inside. Whatever it is, the Bible calls us to step out and know God's got us. To step out and know that God's got us, that God is with us, that God puts his armor on us and says, I'm here because I've brought you Jesus. And Jesus is with you. That's how you'll know you'll be okay. Whatever you face tomorrow or this week or the rest of your life, you'll be okay because Jesus is here. And Jesus saves because God saves. Jeremiah chapter 9 says this, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. This is what we need. I like wisdom. I like might. I like money. <laughs> All those things are nice to have, but they don't make us okay. They don't save. What saves is knowing God, and we know God through Jesus. That's how we'll be okay. That's what we brag on. That's what we hope on. That's what will carry us through. Amen? Lord God, thank you for this time and for Jesus and for, Lord, the ways in which, Lord, you meet us where we're at. Lord, and we're not surprised that you speak our language. You know what it's like uh, to face the threats of this world. And, Lord, you know the threat in our own heart. Yet, Lord God, you stepped into the battleground. You faced the enemy, and you rose victorious. All evil, all suffering, all sin, Lord, is vanquished in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how we'll be okay. And so, Lord, we realize, Lord, the things, Lord, that make us, Lord, uncertain, the things that we struggle with, Lord, the things that are literally shackling us down, Lord, Lord, we, we pray that we would take it to you and have confidence in you. Lord, remind us often, Lord God, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay because you save. You always save your people. And so, Lord, give us more faith in you, Lord, where we're, we're lacking faith, Lord. Lord, give us the faith we need. Um, give us more hope where we're lacking hope. Remind us often of what you've already done and encourage us towards what you're about to do. We thank you for these things. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.